Maybe I'm just nostalgic Or maybe it's truly magical I'm Andrew. And I'm Brooke. And this is the Disneyto Podcast. This week, we're talking Mulan, which celebrates its 20-year anniversary today. Like, legitimately, it was released the same day that we're releasing this episode. We're going to be discussing the movie, and I'll throw in some cool facts and behind-the-scenes info, and then we're going to eat some food, I mean, maybe, with some of the, the McDonald's Szechuan sauce made re-famous again by Rick and Morty that was originally made specifically for Mulan. And Andrew, you were supposed to rewatch Mulan last night. So to kick it off, does the movie still hold up for you 20 years later? Short answer, no. Why? I restarted that movie last night four times. The longest I got was 25 minutes in. So total, I spent about an hour to get 25 minutes in. Did you finish it? No. Okay. So what, what was it about it that didn't hook you? You know, I... I was really eager and excited to watch it. So I don't think it's one of those things where I was not in the mood to watch the movie. Because I was actually pretty amped to go home and watch the movie. I had popcorn ready, blanket on the couch, Mulan ready to go. Whole setup, ready to go. Whole setup, minus the wine. <laughs> Maybe that that's up. what was missing. That, you know, that <laughs> might have been the problem. No, because I didn't have it for Mulan and that was great. I remember when I think back to watching Mulan, I remember it being an awesome movie. A great movie from Disney. I had the um, Mulan cutlery set and plate as a kid. And I used that. But no, it just... I don't know if it was a character's a story. It just kind of bored me. Um, it wasn't, you know... And watching have, being Moana being the last Disney movie I recently watched... Um, kind of set up for failure, I have to be honest. You know, it, it might have <laughs> be because Moana was such a vibrant, heartfelt, kind of very emotionally charged movie where not to cut it Mulan at all. It absolutely is, but it wasn't on the same level. So that definitely could have played into something. Um, but yeah, I just, I couldn't get into it. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I had a similar experience, so I watched it a few days ago. I didn't watch it last night. Um, and I don't know if it was, my childhood remembrance of the movie, like creating these really high expectations for it as an adult, but it didn't quite translate from my childhood now to my adulthood 20 years later. I don't particularly know what it was. I think looking back on it, like I didn't dislike it. I did have a good time watching it. I haven't watched it in probably like 10, 15 years. So it was great to like reintroduce myself to the, the characters and the whole storyline. Mm -hmm. But there was some kind of disconnect from my childhood to now um, that just never rolled over. And I have to point out how dark I thought it was. <laughs> Um, that opening scene where the Huns storm yeah. the Great Wall, and, I mean, he's the nameless soldier 
um, on the wall, and he's just like, you know he's going to get murked. This dude's about to get wrecked. And he sends <laughs> up that signal, and, you know, Sean Yu does not care. He's not yeah. intimidated by it. He's like, you're, just, you're dead. So, like, I'm glad all your people know now because they're all going to die too. Such a dark way to start a Disney film for me. One that I didn't remember. I don't know if I just blocked that out as a child mm-hmm. or what it was. Maybe it just didn't. I didn't realize the severity of that scene, but it really set up this really dark, just like evil to his core villain. Yeah. And that went throughout the movie. I have to say I was really disturbed when we see Sean Yu again and they find the two emperor soldiers Mm -hmm. and they find out they're in the, um, I forget the name of the past, the town that they're in in the past, but he's like, tell your people that we're coming and the two of the, the soldiers run off, and Sean Yu looks to his like, henchman pretty much and is like, how many people does it take to send a message? <laughs> and his henchman's like, just one, and then pulls back his bow and arrow. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Again. You are wrecking these people again. Like, this is for – I was eight when I saw this. Like, this is dark. And they're talking about returning that doll to that girl that's in that village in the yeah. past. And then Mulan and Shang and the gang of three all get there and everyone's dead and they find the doll there. So you know that little girl died. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's heartbreaking to me. It's so dark and they just don't, I don't think they realize what they're doing to people. Eddie Murphy's another story. For me. Yeah, I was waiting to talk about that piece as a side I, note. I had a discussion with Andrew earlier, I have to admit. Yeah. Um, so I was watching this movie, and when Mushu <laughs> gets introduced, there was such, like, this disjointed, I could not, like, get into it, and I feel horrible saying it, but, you know, Shrek came out in 2001, yeah. like, three years after this movie, but all I hear when Mushu talks is donkey. It feels like he wasn't following a script. I'm not sure if you saw... I know you were doing some research. Did, Does he all, ever follow a script? I was going to say, was he just ad-libbing all over? Because it really feels so, out of place. The things I watched about the making of Mulan, they didn't really touch on Mushu a whole lot. <laughs> um, I know originally they had, uh, I believe, uh, someone else portraying Mushu. And Mushu was going to have a song and all this stuff. When they brought on Eddie Murphy, they scrapped a lot of that original content that they had for Mushu. It's really noticeable. He has a line, like he sings one lyric in We Are Men, and it is so clearly not Eddie Murphy singing that one line that like, I never knew that it was him until I watched it with closed captions and saw that that's who was supposed to be singing the one line. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's just donkey to me. And, yeah. and that's really unfortunate because Mulan came out first. So when I watch Shrek, I should hear Mushu, but it's just donkey. Which one do you remember more, though? So to be completely honest, Shrek is one yeah. of my favorite movies of all time. But we won't get into that because it's a DreamWorks movie. So don't hate me. But <laughs> no, it is really this good. This is not a DreamWorks podcast, bro. Unfortunately, we cannot talk about we Shrek. We won't talk about it. So I just hear donkey whenever I hear Mushu. Well, and here's the thing. Eddie Murphy, that was also when that came out, 98. 98. That was the Eddie Murphy prime time. He was in era. everything. He was in everything. So of course he's gonna be in, in Mulan. He just felt really Maybe he's out of ruined place. It. He did he did I agree, Matt. He felt very out of place. Yeah. Um I'm not sure what his intent like 
was. What were they doing with that character? It didn't feel like he had an arc. I know he had like this so-called redemption arc of like being kicked out as an ancestor, but it felt so forced. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel natural at all. And I think that really caused a lot of issues with the overall story. Just, you know. The trio is more successful in being like comedic relief than Oh, by far. Oh, yeah. By far, the Gang of Three is... Because that's what they referred to them as the Gang of Three. Um, they were much... They made so much more sense. So That's interesting, because like, that whole movie, I think... I can only imagine that being a challenging movie for Disney to create. Having to have the somewhat you know, historical accuracy, having to have relevance in the audience of the youth in the era it came out um you know tying the songs tying it all together and then still having like the comic relief and stuff like that i think it was very tough with them i think it would have been tough for them to do with that movie so i learned that i mean like a lot of disney animated films this one took five years to make so they began production of mulan in 1993 which is 25 years ago now which is kind of crazy but 10 of the animators and producers spent um three weeks in china like learning as much as they could taking in the culture um they went and visited a bunch of like historical and ancient sites from the han dynasty and like the Megal caves to learn all about the artistry how the chinese lived back then like what it would have felt like like they put in so much effort and one of the the big struggles they had was a lot of the animators came from The Lion King and Hunchback of Notre Dame and, you know, those films that have really tiny details in mm-hmm. every scene. And they had learned through studying the Chinese art art there that they have very flat, undetailed scenes. Yeah. So they spent so much time creating these detailed like sceneries, landscapes, and characters only to eventually scrap them because the Chinese didn't have that kind of art and they wanted it to be very true to the style. So they had these yeah. very flat backgrounds, not a lot of detail, but they still managed to have depth. It was a very simplistic way of illustrating. So it wasn't just like the struggles in the story. They also struggled with the art. And speaking hmm. of struggles with the story, so Mulan is a story of the the ballad or the poem Fa Mulan. And it's all about, you know, what we traditionally know now from Disney about this girl who essentially just wants to save her father because he's injured and she wants to take up for him. When they were writing the movie for Disney, they ended up on the first cut having this girl who was very self-serving and wanting to do things because she was rebellious and didn't want to adhere to cultural norms. Hmm. And so they had this very, you know, selfish character, which totally breaks from the the Famulan poem. Yeah. So they had to go back and like rewrite the story to better fit that narrative. And I think part of the reason why I didn't connect with Mulan so much is because kind of halfway after she sort of leaves to go to war, I get a little sense of like that self-serving like side of her. So I feel to like they didn't something. completely write right out. Like when she's climbing the pole, Mm-hmm. Um, when Shang shot the arrow up there, it feels like she's doing it for herself and not for anyone else. Like she just wants to prove him wrong. 
And I feel like that's not Mulan the character. Yeah. Like, that's okay for any average, everyday person. Mm-hmm. We all have those moments. But Mulan, who she represented, what her role in that movie and, and in that era. Yeah, that is. It seemed a little vain Yeah, to me. And Mulan's supposed to be this very selfless, you know, caring, smart, intelligent character, which she is. Her wits are very well portrayed mm-hmm. in the movie. But that that scene in particular, I was just a little thrown off because it seemed a little selfish for Mulan. Hmm. That's a good perspective. Yeah. And so maybe I, don't, I don't know if that's a reason why it didn't really connect with me as an adult. Like, as a child, it's just like, awesome. Yeah, boys suck. Yeah. You know? So that was really cool. But now as an adult, it just didn't make sense. Hmm. So. Um, a few other things that I learned. The very first scene to be animated was Mulan watching her mother and father silhouette in the window as they were fighting when he's called to war. That was the very first scene they did. Really? Yes. wonder why. I'm not really sure. They were talking about how, you know, she's, up to that point, she had been this very boxed-in character, lived this very cookie-cutter, boxed-in, sheltered life, and that was, like, her turning point where she was, you know, going to do things, not necessarily her way, but what she thought was the right way. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know if that had any significance for them, but that was the very first scene they started with. A lot of, um, in a lot of filmmaking, uh, they tend to want to shoot like a crucial scene right away because if you can't get that scene right, like it's going to make the whole infrastructure break. So you want to make sure that you get that perfect. So I feel like that would be like the key scene. Like that is more than anything her biggest motivator of going is realizing like not only is her dad's life in danger but it's already kind of tearing her family apart Mm -hmm. from the gate so i guess that makes sense that that would be like the starting animation point yeah i I thought it was really interesting that they started there especially because when i was watching this making of film they talked so much about the landscape and the scenery and all of this stuff and they put so much effort into it and then the very first thing they started with was this very personal very intimate moment for Mulan and her development as a character and for the whole, you know, arc of the story. So I just thought it was a little interesting that they went that route when they had spent so much time dwelling on the actual style of the art. You know, I thought I had predicted they started, you know, with something, you know, architectural in the film. Yeah. To draw first. But that was the very first scene. Interesting. Yeah. You know, talking through all this and, you know, given the explanations you did and well done in your research, um, that may also kind of tie into why it was hard for me to get into the movie, especially given the, you know, kind of more dull palette with their colors that they used within the film. Colors were huge. Yeah, very they dark. Were massive. So they were very um, muted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's true to Chinese art. Yeah. It was much more muted colors, very simplistic. You don't have those vibrant tropical colors like yep. you have in Moana exactly. or, or the Lion King. Exactly. They're very mute. And that, I mean, as children especially, you know, they love bright colors. So it's interesting that I enjoyed it more as a child with the muted colors than yeah. as an adult. It wasn't, I agree, it wasn't as visually appealing. And I was a little confused because in some scenes, doesn't it seem a little Japanese? Yeah. Like when she's going to the matchmaker, 
and yeah. she's wearing the dress. Yeah. To me, it seemed like she was wearing a kimono, and I forget the actual name for it, mm-hmm. but it is a traditional Chinese wedding dress. They use red because it symbolizes uh, love okay. in their culture. So that was a learning point for me because as I was watching it Saturday, I was like, this seems like kind of Japanese. I thought this was in China. So I educated myself and learned that, and I thought it was really interesting. You know, you can learn something from the film. Mm-hmm. And in the, as they're going, speaking of the matchmaker, when Mulan joins the other women, like in the walk to the matchmaker, all those crazy hairstyles and whatnot, that was actually inspired from uh, an artist who was basically sent to China, and they were just like, if you see anything interesting, draw it. And he found a bunch of really intricate like fences set up around hmm. houses and buildings, and he sketched them, and he incorporated that into the women's hairstyles when they're marching to see the, the matchmaker. I thought that was awesome. Because I never, I never would have guessed. That's a cool little tidbit. Yeah. Hmm. So, art was huge. Colors, massive deal. So they did kind of struggle with getting the colors right. So the other thing that I noticed watching Mulan as a twenty-five-year-old, not a five-year-old, is that no one really has any kind of Chinese accent or dialect in their does. speaking. Her father does. Mm-hmm. Mulan, not at all. And the Emperor does as well. And clearly Eddie Murphy, not oh, at all. Oh, yeah. He totally has an Asian accent. But you know what? Like I, I kind of talked to you about earlier, mm-hmm. a lo- that's true for a lot, a lot of Disney characters. It's very true. Belle is French. And while she sucks in many different ways, she should have a French accent. She should. But she doesn't. Jasmine doesn't have an accent. I believe Sleeping Beauty and Aurora is a German fairy tale. I believe someone correct me on that if I'm wrong, uh, but they don't have accents. And I think that is frustrating. I think it takes away from the authenticity of the, the environment that she's in. I would agree. I mean, you're, they're sending people to China for nearly a month to study so that they can make sure that they implement that into the film. But they're not even going to do like one of, in my opinion, one of the more simpler things that you can do to enhance that. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree that it it would be more immersive if they had yeah. the accents. It it really would. But I think, you know, if they do the whole politically cr- correct thing, it's got to be PC. You know, is it Americanized and Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't really know all the politics. That's why there. Americans always bitch and complain that they can't understand people because they're too stubborn and self-loathing. To listen and understand other accents and dialects. But the weird thing is is that there were other characters in Mulan who had the accents, but that didn't carry over to the main character. And it's just interesting as to, I would like to know why they didn't do that and why they don't do that like as a general rule for these main characters. Mm -hmm. You know, why doesn't Simba have a bit of an African, you know, Black Panther, you know, dialect? Yeah. Well, this is interesting though. Um, Harvey Firestein is the voice of one of the Gang of Three. And uh, according to the IMDb page, as I'm looking in here, uh, it says that he was actually reluctant to voice the character because he has strong feelings about giving more opportunities to Asian actors. Um, But he was assured that there were going to be plenty of true Asians cast as various characters throughout the movie. And there are. like I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but George Takei from Star Trek is the voice of one of the ancestors. Like They brought in a lot of those people, but... They were all 
They were all like they they brought in a bunch of Asian voice actors, but only for like side and background characters. Mm-hmm. Like, well, Mulan, very, yeah. that voice actress is Asian. Yeah, but I mean, like most of like I feel like that you know you had like Eddie Murphy and Harvey Firestein is kind of the main, and Donnie Osmond as like some of your main cast members. Yeah. Donnie Osmond, oh god. I mean, if it's worth anything, the actual animator of Mulan and like her direct family is from Taiwan. Hmm. So, there's that at, at least. Um, apparently, he... I have his name written down. Let me pull it up. Um, his name is... Chen Yi. So, he's from Taiwan, and he designed Mulan with the typical ancient Chinese art S-curve formula. So, that's why Mulan has very soft, rounded features. Hmm. Because a lot of, if you look at the Gang of Three as well, they're very shape-based. Like, Yao's very squarish. Um, oh, God, I already forget his name. But the, the larger character is round. And then Ling is triangular shape. Like, it's very geometric. Hmm. And so he had, you know, been a, a long-time study of Chinese art and was able to bring that in. And I thought that was really kind of a, a smart move on their part to really harness his education and his um, talents and his expertise in that area and to bring it into Mulan. But on a side note, did you know, so what's, her name is Leah, and I don't know if I'm going to say her last name right, but Solanga or Solanja? Mm-hmm. Um, she is the uh, singer for Mulan in this movie. She tried out to be the voice. She's Filipino, but she was not chosen because her voice couldn't go deep enough for when Mulan portrays Ping, her her male alter ego. Oh. So she wasn't chosen, but she is also the singing voice for Jasmine. In really? Yeah. So she's done two Disney princesses now. I'm trying to think, when did Aladdin come out? What year was that? That was, what, 91? I will look two? into that. And while I'm looking into that, Brooke, I have to ask, since you're kind of feeling fairly, 92, uh, since you're feeling fairly <laughs> lukewarm about Mulan, you know, just a month ago, you had ranked Reflection as one of your top five Disney Still songs. Still an incredible song. Okay. Um, that whole scene is one of the more visually stunning points yeah. of the movie. Yep. It still resonates so much with me. Um, listening to someone else that's not Christina Aguilera sing, it was really refreshing, so I was really happy to get back to the original in the movie. Still, that that's the weird thing of this movie. Like, that song is so good in such, like, a uh, kind of disjointed, very hodgepodge movie, it seems like. They had this really just really strong song and speaking of songs i will say what surprised me in this movie was how good a girl worth fighting for is i had totally forgotten about it it completely skipped my brain in every sense of the word and when they were all singing it that song is great what a good like kind of theatrical song that is i really enjoyed it i wish you had gotten to that part in the movie because i think you would have enjoyed it when they're singing that song it kind of it's that moment of camaraderie where they all seem to finally come together mm-hmm. and they're talking about kind of the shared interest and desire for like this certain life. And Mulan can kind of relate because, you know, she's fighting for her family. Yeah. And essentially that's what they're all kind of talking about, even though they're speaking of a girl, but they want, you know, that girl in the family. They're making that connection. Yeah. Finding them themselves and their similarities. Mm-hmm. Nice. 
It's a very good song. I'd totally forgotten, and I think a lot of people forget it. But I would say it's probably the most underrated part of the film is that song. I'll tell you, you know, although I could not get through the movie, that does not mean I'm going to give up on Mulan. I will go back and try to watch this movie again and try to find that nostalgia that I felt prior to attempting it this past week. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you really do got to, in a way, worry about the nostalgia filter and it how really much you talk yourself your up about it. Your so high. Yeah. You know, you think about it, it's like, oh my gosh, this movie was, you know, near and dear to my heart. I remember as a kid, like, this was the best. And I watch it now, I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. This is not... This is nothing that I thought it was. And, you know, it's kind of weird because I think a lot of Disney movies do translate well from children to adults. Yeah. That's what makes Disney so popular is that even when you're taking your child to see this film, there are pieces in it for the parents and the Absolutely. adults that go to see it. And that really makes Disney unique. And I think that's what DreamWorks and a lot of other, you know, animated studios have started to do is really incorporate these very adult ideas and themes into their their animated movies. But I feel like Mulan really lacks that. Yeah, I would agree. It really doesn't commit to either, I would say. It doesn't commit to being a children's movie entirely because of, like, the dark-ass Sean Yu moments. But it doesn't commit to being an adult movie either because you have songs like A Girl Worth Fighting For. You mm-hmm. have these really goofy moments with Mushu. So it, it doesn't commit, I would say, to either end of the spectrum. It's just kind of left in the middle. Children will, Children love Mushu because he's goofy. Adults like the, you know, as an adult, I really love Reflection even more than I did as a child. Mm -hmm. So there, there's pieces for both, but it doesn't commit to either. Hmm. You know, I'd be curious, seeing that both of us really love this movie as a kid and we're kind of skeptical about it as adults, I'd be curious to see kind of what our viewers and followers would kind of think about this one. I would too. I would also, if anybody has kids, what do their kids think about it? Yeah. Because they didn't grow up with Mulan when it came out and had all the hype. I'd love to know what younger kids these days think of that movie. Oh my gosh, if it, yeah. If it still has the same effect. Mommy, why is it square? Yeah. <laughs> I watched yeah. it last night as well, just to kind of get prepared. And I actually, I didn't love it, but I, I found it really enjoyable. And I don't know if it's... um because I came off of watching uh, Pocahontas and Frozen the two nights prior, that I came from something that no, was it, so serious that like something that was you, like a little bit You came from more... watching Pocahontas too. I watched, real. I, I watched so both anything is He better. watched Pocahontas too. <laughs> but I think going from like um, two movies that are very good, but they are fairly serious with Frozen and Pocahontas, there's not a whole lot of comedy in them. I would argue that Frozen Mul- has comedy. It Pocahontas does. is much more serious. Yeah, Mulan like, is kind of serious too, in a way. It though. does have a serious tone. It's a very I, serious undertone. I think even in like, like from a visual standpoint, like you have like Pocahontas is so like it's very matter of fact, and it's this beautifully yes. like you said, it's very like meticulously drawn and animated from like the Lion King days. Mm-hmm. For this to just kind of, it just felt like a cartoon that I would have watched. Like it's like it just took me back to like. A cartoon for the sake of a cartoon and not like as heavy as mm-hmm. as Frozen and Pocahontas are with a lot of the stuff that I think it was just like oh this is like a fun bowl of cereal like it was like it was is it like... fun though so now that I'm thinking about it I'm starting to think like Mulan is just kind of this mixture of several different princesses so I think 
when I, while I'm thinking about it, I see aspects of Ariel, aspects of Jasmine and Pocahontas in her. So Ariel, so when in the beginning when Mulan's like writing on her arm before she goes sees the matchmaker and everything, you know, she's very excited, but kind of out of place, very Ariel to me. It reminds me of her. And then you go into, you know, her deciding to go and go to war for her father. It feels very defiant, like Jasmine, because Jasmine is very, we'll get into that another time, but a very defiant character. And then you get this very serious side to her, which is very Pocahontas. So it almost feels as though Mulan doesn't have a whole lot of individualism when you're stacking her up against other princesses before her. You know, Which but, is unfair, and you shouldn't do, of course. But because I'm just being critical now, it's got me thinking. But now that you say that, though, you got me thinking. And think about Mulan in the story and how she was brought up. She never really had the opportunity to have that individualism. So in the in the poem, in the ballad which they don't make mention of in the movie at all, is that Mulan grew up, like, very well-versed in martial arts. Really? So she did kind of have that little bit of, like, badassness to her. Mm -hmm. But they don't bring that up in the movie. Which kind of makes her a little bit more cookie-cutter. You really never find out that true deep kind of... And I think if they had maybe kept the... the part of her that had been well-versed in martial arts... It would make more sense for her to, like, want to show um, Shang, like, I can climb this pole and get this down. Like, what do you know about me? That wouldn't seem like such a selfish moment. It would almost make sense to her character because, you know what, she is trained in this. She can do it, and she's going to show him. Yeah, because it would show that she worked for it just like anybody else mm-hmm. would, and she's capable of it. Yeah. Instead of just, well, I want to try to do it, too, because he did it. And it's not even that. It's like, I want to do it because he thinks... He just thinks that I can't, and I can't do it, but I'm going to bust my ass just to prove him wrong. Whereas, you know, if if she could do it already, she would be like, screw you, I can do this. Okay, now what? What are you going to do? Yeah. And it doesn't seem like such a selfish moment for her. It kind of is in that she's proving him wrong, but I think she would do it just to kind of shut him up and, like, want to move on with, like, you know, the progression of going to war for her father and her family. I could see that. Yeah. So, when Mulan was released in 1998, McDonald's picked up, I guess, the the rights to serving, like, those toys mm-hmm. and having, like, the full meal that sort of promoted the movie. And they came out with this Szechuan sauce that you could dip, like, your nuggets and your fries in. I didn't have it when I was younger. I never had it. But it made such a huge comeback recently because of Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. They demanded when, like, it. like, Dan Harmon and whatnot went on that huge tirade as Rick about how they want the Szechuan sauce to come back. Yeah. So we have some Szechuan sauce here. We're going to try it with some tortilla chips because we don't have any fries or nuggets. So this is <laughs> a little janky, but we're still going to give it a go. That's what we're going to do. I'm actually, I'm going to dip a little, I'm going to dip a pinky in this and be a little fancy. Sauce. I'm sure this will go great with the Malbec. What's in it, water, sugar, distilled vinegar, cornstarch, oops. I mean, I just hope it's better than, I hate ketchup. If this tastes anything like ketchup. It does contain that. soy and wheat. Do you have a soy or wheat allergy? No. All right, we're good. Oh, it smells really sweet. I don't like it already. Kind of Let's try this. Oh, God. Like very cold gelatinous. ew it's like clear <laughs> it looks so dark because of the this black is container bizarre. but it's like clear on my finger why do they make this okay that's so salty oh it just tastes like gelatinous soy sauce hold on maybe it'd be better on a nugget no it is it, you're right it is like it's salty it's a creamy soy sauce 
Yes, it's gelatinous. It's, it's like it's they jello soy sauce. I'm pretty sure they just dump a bunch of soy sauce in their sweet and sour sauce and call it Szechuan sauce. Is this what Szechuan tastes like? Has anyone had real Szechuan? <laughs> I'm gonna try it with a chip. I'm gonna try to not crunch in the microphone. I mean, now that I ha- I let it kind of sit in my mouth, it's a little better. I'm gonna take another bite. It's salty. Mmm. Okay, this isn't bad. I'm gonna take a bite with a chip. Ooh, I do not like it with a chip. Ooh. No. I think because the chips already have salt on it. That's not enjoyable. No. <laughs> At all. Maybe with a nugget. I would I would really like to try it with like a chicken nugget. If anybody would like to send us some chicken nuggets to try the Szechuan <laughs> sauce. We can drive with. there ourselves. <laughs> it's about three minutes away. It's a little far. Yeah, we can't make it. I don't know. I, I feel like I can't really make a decision on this until like I had it with a chicken nugget. It just looks weird, first of all. The fact that I know that it's clear and not really dark like it appears because it's in this dark container. Kind of me I'm really kind of starting to like it. I keep eating it. It's growing on me. Ew, look at it. I know, but just it let it like simmer in your mouth a little. Gravy. Damn you. Damn you, Szechuan sauce. This is good. This is what this is what Rick was talking about. Let me tell you something. Here's a question. So Rick and Morty. we're celebrating 20 years of Mulan, even mm-hmm. though we kind of shit talked it. We're celebrating at the same time because it's been 20 Mulan. years. Yeah. I just think I need some time. To appreciate it as an adult. Mm-hmm. I still love it as a child. It will still be one of my like most fond memories. But, you know, I'm looking at it with a critical eye now. So I think we get a little bit of a pass. We like Mulan. Absolutely. We can have different perspectives different days. I really appreciate the effort that went into making the film. Yeah. And how they really tried to do uh, the Chinese culture justice. I really do appreciate that. I just think it's so interesting that, you know, we're celebrating this 20-year anniversary the sauce came out for its original release. You almost wonder, did Rick and Morty know about the 20th anniversary of Mulan? And they like purposely did everything they did to make sure that Szechuan sauce was back for their own selfish reasons to Dan celebrate. Harmon and Justin Roiland do that. They're just like, he was drunk, they, wasn't he? Well, <laughs> wasn't he really drunk and he just really wanted Szechuan sauce? From- it's okay. I would like to try it on a nugget to make a final call, but it's, it's all right. I would be more impressed if Disney came out with the Mulan toys again. So get on that. Or did I say Disney McDonald's? McDonald's. I'm sorry. McDonald's needs to come out with that again. Do kids even get toys anymore in Happy Meals? Yeah. Do they still get toys in Happy Meals? Or do they just get get carrots? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We fattened all our kids in America. So now you get veggies and fruits. You want to sit on your iPad all day? No toys for you. Little Easter egg. So Shang's horse, he has the white horse with the spots. Mm-hmm. If you look at the horse's spots, they're in the shape of Mickey Mouse. Ooh, a hidden Mickey. Yeah. Two hidden Mickeys on one horse. You're welcome. Do they do that in every movie? Yeah, there's always like little... There's always There's Easter always eggs. little Mickey Easter eggs. Um, Mulan was the first princess to be raised by both of her biological parents through her childhood and the second to have both parents alive. The first being Aurora and Sleeping Beauty. So that's interesting. That's actually that really interesting. That just proves how, you know, Disney is such a fan of murdering parents, and it's kind of disturbing. Thanks for my broken home, Disney. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I thought this was hilarious. Mulan was almost rated PG instead of G, because <laughs> one of the ancestors 
uses the term cross-dresser. I'm not, I'm not kidding. She says cross-dresser, so they were like, well, this has got to be PG. Mulan also There's has the highest... There's a drag queen out there that loves that. <laughs> yeah, drag, drag queens everywhere. Yes. Damn right. You think Mulan would be like a more popular thing on like RuPaul's Drag Race? The men do dress up as, yeah, as women in it. it, so it would be like fun to recreate yeah. that. Men dress up as women in RuPaul's Drag Race? No, in Mulan. <laughs> Obviously, in RuPaul's Drag Race, I'm not some idiot. Jeez. <laughs> you have, like, lived under a conservative rock my whole life? <laughs> Sorry, I'm Republican. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Fuck that. Other things. Uh, so Mulan has, obviously, the highest death rate of any Disney movie. Um, it's the Tung Shao Pass where that uh, city is located, where they all are brutally murdered and, you know, die. And then you also have the avalanche scene where a bunch of Huns die. So, highest death count of any Disney movie, um, at least up until that point. Um, Creaky, who I think is such a great character, the cricket, Creaky. He's so oh. cute. I love him. He was actually drawn and created by one of the oldest Disney animators at that point in time, maybe still ever. But he was uh, created by Joe Grant, who worked on Snow White. Yeah. Whoa. And they weren't going to add Creaky into the film, but he kept sliding sketches of Creaky under the producer's door, like, every day, and got him added. How old is this person? Well, at that point in time, he was hella old. I don't know if he's still alive. <laughs> Let me look him up. Snow White was, what, 38? Let's see. The he died in 2005. Okay. So, Did he make Jesus, it to 90? He was born in 1908. He was like almost 100. He was 96. Okay. He lived a good life then. He did. And it's funny you mentioned that character in the movie. Um, I got to see him, and that was kind of the only, like, <gasps> of watching that movie uh, yesterday. That was the only kind of nostalgia factor that really held true, was seeing that little bugger. Speaking of Joe no Grant, pun intended. he left Disney in 1949, and he returned in 1989 and worked on Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, Mulan, Fantasia 2000, and Monsters, Inc. The last two films he worked on for his death were Chicken Little and Up. And I believe Up's dedicated to him, and so is Chicken Little. Don't make me talk about Up right now. We're not going to talk about Up. I don't we should cry. do a whole podcast just about Up. Up is so traumatic and beautiful. Producer Matt Kelly, it, you I saw think, the Up House, didn't you? I, I did see the Up House. We're not talking about Up right now, okay? I'm I've had saying. two glasses of wine and I don't want to cry. <laughs> okay? And that's Mulan. Happy anniversary. Did we miss any of your favorite facts? What's your favorite moment of the film? Did Mulan translate from childhood to adulthood like you expected? If so, let us know on our Facebook group, Disneytos, or by emailing us at disneytopodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't have time or want to watch Mulan and you have kids, have your kids watch Mulan and let us know what your kids think. Yes, please do that. And if not, that's okay. Because kids. But next week we will once again be discussing a topic brought to us from one of you lovely listeners. So tune in and find out what our next topic is. Comes out next Tuesday. Hey!